All right, let's pray, and we'll get to Hebrews chapter 2. Father, we want to just thank you just for continuing to be faithful in our lives and continuing to just reveal yourself, becoming more real every day, Lord. And we just ask as we get into your word, your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our ears, Lord, to, to see you and hear you in a way that we haven't before, Lord. And um, you would just draw us near to you, Lord, that we'd have an excitement to, to want to know you more. So we just invite you and ask that you would just do work here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Hebrews chapter 2. So the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus. It's all about how awesome Jesus is. Um, we're going to get to how he's our high priest and it's to the Hebrews, and the Hebrews are the Jews. And so they were starting to, to drift away. They were starting to turn back to their Jewish, um, to the Jewish traditions and turning away from Christ, the, one, the very one that died for them. And so the author of this book is presenting the case how Jesus is more awesomer than anything else, anybody else. And so that's the case we're seeing. In chapter 1, he showed how Jesus is way better than any of the angels. To which of the other angels did he say these things to and, you know, sit at my right hand? And so that was the focus of chapter 1 and the... Hebrew people were, angels were like a huge thing for them. You know, it was believed that the, the law was given to Moses through the angels. And so they highly regarded the angels. And so that's why the author kind of went through this process of showing that. And that's going to get us started at, on chapter two. It says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And the very first word in chapter 2 is what? Therefore. Therefore. So he's continuing on the theme of angels. Um, in chapter 1, we saw in times past, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, has spoken through his son. Now here's the thing. So... The warning is given, therefore, because of these things I presented to you, we must pay attention, give heed. And that word give heed ties into we must anchor down. We must have an anchor on the things we have heard, on the truth we know, lest what happens? 
we drift away. And we're going to talk more about that. I'm going to kind of, that's my application towards the end is about drifting away. But the fear was that the Hebrew people were going to drift away from Christ. If they didn't anchor into him and who he is and what he's done for them, they would slowly drift from that and kind of get back into the law. And so that was the fear. So in verse 2 says, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and that word angel there just means messenger. So it could also be speaking of the prophets of the Old Testament, not just angelic beings. So it could be taken either way. For if the word spoken through angels or messengers proved steadfast, and every transgression disobedience received a just reward. So if you look at the Old Testament, prophecy after prophecy, warning after warning, and every single one of them come true. Um, In the book of Isaiah, God says time and time again, I predict the future so that you know that I am God and there is no other. And I was going to spend some time into prophecies that got fulfilled, but I realized that I would quickly run out of time. It's just fascinating. Um, one of the really cool ones, the prediction of the fall of Babylon in the book of Isaiah. This was predicted before Babylon even was a mighty power. And so if you remember the story in the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar was partying and he says, bring out the golden goblets from the temple and they were drinking and just having a good old time and a hand came out of nowhere and wrote on the wall. You hear that term, the handwriting on the wall? Where God's hand wrote many, many, tekel Farson, and a judgment came. That judgment came through... My brain just went blank. The, the mead. Anyway, Cyrus predicted by Isaiah before he was even born, 150 years before he was born or something, predicted that this Cyrus would rise up and take down Babylon in a day. And it happened on that day we read in the book of Daniel. And the way it happened was prophesied how he would shut the river down and everything that would happen. It's fascinating if you want to get into it. But that's just one example of how God's word is faithful. And so we see if every word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So now we're talking about Jesus. How If we neglect Jesus, we neglect what he did for us on the cross, how are we going to escape the judgment? That is the foundation. It's all about Jesus. So that's what's going on here. And it says in verse 3, continuing, And it was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so we saw the confirmation of the ministry of Jesus through the miracles that Jesus performed. And even after that, his apostles were given gifts of the Holy Spirit and were um, healing people and all these things confirming the ministry of Jesus. And so that's how we start out chapter 2, is a reminder 
We need to be anchored to something steady, something that is trustworthy, because if you do not, you will drift away. And I'm sure maybe we'll have time. Someone can give an example of someone, a time when you were anchored down. I don't know if with everyone in here, there might be a good story. But if not, I have one. Verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And again, he starts out by saying he didn't put the world to come under the power of the angels. Again, emphasizing it wasn't to the angels that are going to inherit these things in the kingdom but to Jesus, and again, placing Jesus over the angels. And this is really cool. This is um, Psalm. It, if you read it, you wouldn't think it's a, song of, a psalm, a messianic psalm of Jesus. You would think it's speaking of just a man. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? And that's kind of amazing. Sometimes we look at this world, and people of contemplating, I'm just a little speck on this earth that's a little speck in our solar system, that's a little speck in our galaxy, one of many galaxies. Who am I that God would even think of me? And so it's a pretty awesome thought. And in verse 7 where it says, you've made him a little lower than the angels, speaking of Jesus. Does that bother any of you? They made Jesus? Yes, because this is in this context, it's speaking of Jesus, a messianic. You made him a little lower than the angels. Well, he was when he was man on earth. And that word a little lower can be translated for a little time period and also a little bit lower. But because he became a man, in Philippians, he emptied himself of his privileges and became a man. And so when he became a man and took on the form of a man, in in that sense, he was a little lower than the angels for a little time being. But verse 8, what's going to happen? You, speaking of God the Father, have put all things in subjection under his feet. Jesus will reign. Jesus will reign on the throne of David. We have the millennial reign coming up after the tribulation. The thousand-year reign of Christ, well, he will sit on the throne of David. And we see that coming. Let's continue. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. Okay, at this time, if you look around the world, it's pretty obvious that Jesus is not at this time sitting on that throne reigning because there's craziness in this world. And it is amazing what people think today. I, to me, it blows my mind the crazy ideas people have. And I, if you would have told me 10 years ago what this culture would be like today, I'd like, no, nah, you're crazy. 
It can't happen. And we see the result of people rejecting God and denying God. And the result is crazy ideas. So it says, but now we do not yet see all things put under him, but he's going to. There's going to be a time when he reigns. But I like this verse 9, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus. We look at this world, and if you focus on this world and what's going on in this world, you'll go crazy. What do we need to do? We need to see Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting for the time for his enemies to be made his footstool. And so we don't have to worry, wow, I wonder what's going to happen. This is bad, you know. Why are these bad things happening? We don't have to worry about that. We see Jesus, who will be sitting on a throne, who God the Father is going to put all things under his authority. And so we don't have to worry. You don't have to look and say, oh my gosh, look what's going here, and this state accepted this, and this government's doing this, and ISIS is going crazy, and there's terror bombs going on. No, we see Jesus sitting, waiting for the right time to rule. It's all about Jesus. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everybody. Again, the focus is Jesus. What did Jesus do? He tasted death for us so that we don't have to. He died for us. He suffered for us. And for me, I just, sometimes I don't appreciate that enough. Sometimes I take that for granted and I don't, I don't think I can comprehend the depth of what it means that he tasted death for me. And when we lose sight of that, I think that's when we start to drift. If we don't seek and try to find out, understand and comprehend what it means that he tasted death. It's hard for our brains to, to comprehend. In Philippians, it says that um, Jesus is going to be, oh, I better go there because in my nervousness, I'm forgetting. Philippians chapter 2. I'll start in verse 7. Speaking of Jesus, said, but made himself of no reputation, taken on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And so you see being made a little lower than the angels. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's going to happen. We don't have to freak out about what's going on. We need to see Jesus for who he is and what he has done. All right, before we go to this next section, I want you guys to share of... An example of how you bonded with something, somebody, because of something common in your lives. You may not have known this person, but all of a sudden you found out, hey, 
he did this or he went through this and you had a common bond and you connected. Can anyone think of an example? No, anything, anything. And mine would be with people with music, how you get a bond. You know, when you jam with somebody over a period of time, and it's just like you get a serious bond where you know each other just by playing. You sure Same thing with cars, you know, like street rods and stuff. You can go to a car show, have no idea who any of these people are, that you can sit there and talk with them for hours about cars and maybe even don't even know their names. But yeah. bonded because you have so much in common. Well, bond with people that are really on fire for Christ and that they want to talk about Jesus and, yeah. and God and just mm-hmm. how they love him and how much that their life was just renewed because of him. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Maybe I just, my mom passed away, so... A lot of people have been like sharing with me their experience when a loved one passed, and so, yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> one more person. Yes. John and I had that experience. I lost my brother young, and he lost his mother when he was a teenager. And just loss in general, I think, brings people together. Hmm. To comfort the other person and try and share with them, so I can see, you know, where angels. Yeah. That people are reaching out to her, and I think that's hopefully a, a comfort to her, just so that you know that you can get through it, and it's hard, and there's mm. a lot to do, but you can. I think that's so important. Um, I'm an awkward person sometimes, and I don't like to say to people, but once you find that one thing you can connect with, all of a sudden it's just you're on. It's free for all, and you just can talk and talk and talk. And especially um, through suffering, if I meet someone that played football in high school, yeah, I remember two days, remember all this, and you both have gone through the same experience, and you know you can relate. You know they understand. And we're going to talk about Jesus and how that he is the same way. Verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. So that's saying Jesus made everything. And they were made for him. It's all about him. In bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus is the captain of our salvation, and he was made perfect through suffering. Now you might say, I thought he was perfect. Why does suffering make him perfect? That word perfect means complete. It makes him complete in the sense that he can minister to us in a way because he has suffered everything we have by the things that he suffered. So to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I in the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him with the power of death that is the devil. 
and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And again, this is the importance of Jesus becoming a man so we can relate to him. The things he suffered allow us to relate to him. The loneliness, the pain, everything he went through. We can't say, you don't understand. He understands because he went through more than any man in the world could have gone through. And so there's that instant relatability. And later on in Hebrews chapter 4 at the end or 5, one of my favorite verses, it talks about how we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was on all way tested, tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And that connection we have with Jesus because he suffered, because he was tempted. He understands that we are weak. So we can't say, Jesus, you don't understand. You just don't, you don't understand. We can't say that because he went through the things we've gone through. He understands. And it's awesome that he does because he understands he can have mercy on us. He understands like, oh, flesh is weak. That's why this, that's why I fail all the time. That's why we all fail. And Jesus doesn't say, I can't believe they fail again. It's like, I understand. I understand the weakness that you have. I can relate to you, so come to me. I can help you. I can relate to you. And so that's why Jesus partly had to become a man to relate to us. And tying back to what Johnny's teaching in the book of Ruth, a redeemer must be a relative, right? And for Jesus to be a relative of us, he had to become a man also. So that ties in too. And it's really cool that it says that we don't have to be afraid of death, the bondage of death. Verse 16, for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. That is so cool to me. A reminder that when we are struggling, when we are tempted, he can help us because he went through those things. He understands everything. And sometimes we're afraid to turn to God. Oh, he's going to be mad or he's going to be this. Yet he says, I understand. I became a man. I can relate to you. We can connect. Just like people play music can connect. People that are veterans of war can connect. Just different people connect because of a common bond. We have a common bond with Jesus because he was a man. He became man. He was fully man and fully God. All right. To finish off here, I want to talk back to the drifting. And this is the part that we, it's hard for us to relate to the Jews of them drifting back to Judaism 
because we don't have that background. And so in what ways and in what directions can we drift as Christians? I'll just throw that out there. What's that? Definitely. Back to old sins, it's easy to drift back. And that will happen if we're not anchored into Jesus. It's like uh, when you go out for a swim and you have people up on the beach and then you're just there for a minute and a minute longer you look and you're just like way out over here. <laughs> and you're just like, how could I possibly get this far out? It happens pretty, pretty darn quick, right? Yeah, do you know what he's talking about? Yes. Yeah. You put all your towels and your shoes... <laughs> You play for 15 minutes. Someone stole it. Where'd it go? And it's like way down there. It's so easy. If you don't have an anchor, you just, you're playing. You don't realize and all of a sudden you're just like way off, way off. Any other ways where we could drift? Or not us in, in general, specifically, but maybe just Christians in general. Not that well, I always thought of, my, one of my biggest problems is trying to, keep things under control and then realize that I ain't got nothing in control. <laughs> you know, and a lot of times it's like, you know, I got this, I got this, I got, and it's like, you know, God's like, what do you mean you got this? You know? Yeah. Like, you know, you're, you're like listening to your own head instead of listening to God. A lot of things it's really easy to get into is like idolatry. Anything that's not focusing on trust in Christ is something just like ourselves or things, or material things, or even TV. Just anything that we spend more time focusing on than the Lord is, is idolizing it, literally, and spending way more time than we need to. That can kind of take us off course. You know? and it's very subtle. Because yeah. it's not, in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. No. But it's just Moderation. that drifting yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like boiling a frog or you stick a frog in cold water, you know this one? Stick a frog in cold water and you, sl- and you turn the heat on and you slowly cook it and it doesn't even know it's being cooked. Yeah, I've heard that. Something like that. And if you throw him in hot water, you jump right out. But if you put him in the water and let yeah. it heat up with him in there, he won't even notice. I've heard that. Well, also another, like, I know I'm going to read in the morning, and, but I want to hear the news on the radio. And I listened to Pastor Chuck, and, and after a while, uh, I hadn't read. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so easy, and there's different ways that we can drift. And I liked what uh, John Corson talked about. He talked about a steam train, and you're in charge of putting the coal in the fire. And the train's just cruising along, all these people on there and having the time of their life taking this trip on this train. And uh, you're supposed to put coal in there, but you're like, ah, just train's going. And you don't throw coal in there. It's still going, right? It's still pretty good. And then about five minutes later, maybe I should put some in there. And you look, the train's just cruising along. And you keep on doing this. And eventually... It's going to start slowing down. And I think that's kind of what happens sometimes as Christians. You know, I haven't prayed or read, and I'm still doing all right. Things are going well. Or maybe, you know, I've sinned a little bit, but things are still going pretty good. 
and we forget God's promise, we will reap what we sow. If we sow to the Spirit, good things, blessings, but we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. But it doesn't always happen right away, does it? And so that's how I think we can drift if we not attached to God and his word. And we just see, hey, things are going okay and I'm not doing, I'm supposed to be reading, but hey, I'm, I'm getting by. But all of a sudden, the train slows down. All of a sudden, things aren't going the way they used to be. And it's not because of that particular moment. It's because of what happened many miles ago. We stopped being anchored to Jesus. And we slowly drifted without realizing it because we got away with it. And all of a sudden, we're paying the price. I thought I'd conquered that sin. Why did it come back and get me? It wasn't that moment. It was the moments leading up to that. Not being anchored. I look at the life of Samson and Delilah. Samson, Delilah's like, Tell me your secret. Tell me your secret. And what was the first one? If you tie me with bow strings or something. And then they wake up in the morning and Delilah's like, Samson, Samson, the Philistines. And he breaks the bow strings and he's like, fine, right? And then was it new rope was one of them? Do you guys remember? Yeah. And Samson's like, if you tie with me new rope, I will be helpless. Delilah, Samson, Samson, the Philistines. <laughs> and then one was weaving his hair in the loom or something. And that didn't work. And then he finally said, if you cut my hair off me, I'll lose my strength. And then she cuts his hair. I think it was her, right? And she's like, Samson, Samson, the Philistines. And he got up and it says he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He had been drifting the whole time playing with God. And he ended up being blinded. Remember, they blinded him. And he walked in circles in the mill, going nowhere. And that's what can happen to us. If we are not anchored in Christ, we can drift to the point where we're blinded and walking in circles and wasting time. And what's crazy, I think we can even drift while reading the word and going to church. I do this. I look at my life sometimes You can go to church and be at church and listen to the study and pay attention. But if you're not there saying, Lord, teach me, show me something, you're just like, okay. And going through the motions, you can drift even when you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to do. You can read the word just because you're supposed to read the word, but you're not like, Lord, this is so awesome. This is so good. If you're not anchored in. We can drift doing things that seem like we're supposed to be doing. And so it's not a matter of what we do, but it's being connected with Jesus. I want to do John chapter 15. And we'll end here. I am the vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. And I picture that vine is anchored, drawing nutrients, dependent upon the main vine. And so that's where we need to be. And we have to be careful that we are truly anchored into this Jesus who died for us, who tasted death for us, who can sympathize with us, who understands our weaknesses. And we can't forget how awesome he is. We can't lose sight of what he's done for us. Or we are in the danger of just drifting and floating into trouble. But the good news, if we do drift, he'll always take us back. He'll always be merciful and we can be brought back. But why do we allow ourselves to get into that place of danger? And so the author here in Hebrews 2, back to the beginning, I'll just read that. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to drift. So Father, I ask that you would uh, just speak to our hearts and Lord, show us where we have drifted. Show us when we don't anchor to you, Lord, to have that love relationship with you. We're not out of obligation, Lord, but out of an appreciation of who you are, that we would sit at your feet and just draw nutrients from you, Lord. So help us, because we confess we are weak and we need your strength. We love you and thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.